Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. I really got to get, like, I really got to get into the, like, the the morning call-in show soundboard app. There's got to be something out there where I could, like, really lean into the, uh, you know, the most annoying style of intro presentation. <laughs> Possible. I think I think you've already nailed that. Yeah, you think just saying your name out loud is enough? No, just your whole <laughs> intro vibe. I mean, this is really annoying right now. Yeah, yeah, no, I I know. I'm I'm listening to you talk and I'm already I'm pissed. No, 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 that's the joke I'm doing on you. You can't just do it right back on me. I'm rubber your glue, Zane. Keep that in mind. <laughs> You're certainly buoyant enough. <laughs> oh my god. I think is rubber buoyant? Let's talk about this instead of the fight card. Is rubber buoyant? Is that really I don't know if I've ever thrown a rubber object into a pool. I guess I've probably thrown a super ball into a pool at some point. Are super balls rubber? Yeah, I think they are. Yeah. Okay. Then it's buoyant. Yeah. All right. Fair enough, Zane. You win this time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for me today. I'm driving <laughs> off into the sunset. <laughs> this is our worst intro ever. Yeah, that's my point, is I could do that. <laughs> show doesn't need to be good. The cards aren't good. Why make the show good? That's a very good point. Um, anyway, we're talking about this UFC Fight Night card going down at the Apex facility, because where the hell else are you going to main event Sean Strickland? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, honestly, not to tease it, but I, I, I got an article to write, I think, for tomorrow, trying to trying to op-edify myself a little out here with the, mm-hmm. the new bloody elbow. And there was a conversation going on uh, around over on Twitter, and somebody brought this up, and I was just like, wait, no, I think that is something. And it was that Sean Strickland is Mr. Apex, which is the most... True, while also most absolutely untrue sentence ever uttered. In in what sense is it untrue? Because I'm guessing it it denotes the fact that he's probably been at the apex more than anyone else. I uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 if not more than anyone else, he typifies it. He he is yeah, the, yeah. he is the custom built product for yeah. you know he, it, it's what if Sam Alvey was good enough to win kind of thing. Um, But in the sense it's untrue is that calling Sean Strickland Mr. Apex as though he were the apex of anything really feels like exactly the wrong vibe. Yeah, I was going to make this joke before realizing that I'm pretty sure I did it before, like right around the time we were really getting sick of all these apex cards. Mm -hmm. But I'll just say it again. Um, 
he should be called Mr. Nadir. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just like showing off that I know that word. <laughs> Although I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, Nadir, I think, I think. Okay, all right. Close you enough. Got it. But, uh, yeah, Sean Strickland. Um, I mean, the thing is, is that they couldn't even find somebody cool for him to fight. I know. I mean, what is going on? Like. They just found a guy. Yeah. And. Unless, like, th- there's always the possibility that, like, the matchmakers look at these people and they genuinely think that they're, like, awesome. And that, I, I don't know, like, they think they've taken the temperature and the fans really care about Abu Supi and Magomedov, or they just, this is what they got. Um, I, it's, it's always hard to say. Yeah, and, and I, I will say, if the UFC is doing, like, if they paid a bunch of money for Abu Magomedov, which... Uh, they might have. I don't know. That seems like a, a bad business decision to me, but maybe they did. Um, good for him, I say. If so. Yeah, good for him. That's I, I hope he, they, that he got paid because he's a dude in his 30s who's been fighting forever. And yep. if he's going to get paid in his career, it is going to be right this second. Yeah. Um, but in in a vacuum... This is totally fine matchmaking, honestly. Like, oh, absolutely, yeah. It's he, just not a main event. He's been around forever, and he should be thrown. If you're gonna sign a guy like this, you should a yeah. be paying him and b be testing him right away. Like, why have somebody in their 30s who's been around forever climb the ladder? Sign him, sign him for good money. Throw him in. If they can't swim, then throw him out. You yeah, know? and no one needs or wants to see Sean Strickland in title contention. He could yeah. f- he could be the the flex role of you know yeah. like fighting for contendership every now and then, but also keeping the gates against established uh, newcomers to the UFC. I think yeah, this would be a p- totally sensible matchup. It's just not a main event. It's just not a main event. That's just it. Is it? It's. You know, it'll be fine as a co-main. You know, like you want to introduce the guy. Sean Strickland's got some name value, sure, whatever, on a fight night card. But what is this? It literally drags the whole card down because there is at least a little interest throughout the undercard. There are a couple little bright spots. You're like, okay, I know one of these fighters. Caposa, you know, he pointed out like a lot of this card for a fight night card has some real interest to it. You know, you get Ismagulov, you yeah. get Bonfim. Return of get, Kevin Lee. Yeah, you get Kevin Lee coming back. You get Kutataladze, you know, like these are all really cool fighters. Yeah. And we want to watch them. It's They're not just, all in cool matchups. We have seen Sean Strickland has climbed the top of the, to the top of this division and he has had uh, four main events now in his last five fights and none of them have been fun cool fights people wanted to revisit or cared about after they were done you know I I credit to Strickland he's won three of those four so 
it's not like you can say he has failed when given, you know, the task. But it yeah. is it is one of those things where, you know, they have tested out Sean Strickland, main event fighter, and it, it just doesn't nobody cares. I mean, who knows? We don't know what yeah. their numbers look like. I guess we can base it on like what site traffic and social media activity looks like surrounding these events. It doesn't seem like Sean Strickland's. Uh, but I also, I don't know. Sean Strickland, I think, has made of himself a minor star. I mean, in UFC, he's at least like a recurring character that people are like, oh, this dude's going to say some some incredibly stupid, crazy shit. He has definitely developed X-Pac heat. Which uh, wrestling? Yeah, you're not. You weren't a wrestling fan. At yeah, the, time. the lack of. I'm not a wrestling fan now, nor have I ever been. Yeah, I, I was a, a wrestling fan in the Attitude Era. Okay, and I don't know it what was that is. It, it was the uh, Stone Cold Rock uh, NWO. Okay. That's, what, that's what people were doing the suck it gesture. Yes, exactly. Okay. All right. I, okay. And it, it was, he was basically a dude that everybody assumed would get over because every would, would you know, to get over, be popular because right. everybody hated him. I know the lingo, Zane. I do write about MMA. OK, everybody assumed he would get over because everybody hated him. But it just turned out everybody hated him. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Strickland is a little bit in that vein. That's he all just, we got, though, in MMA. Half the stars are people that yeah. just every normal person hates. But, I mean... Does anybody like Colby except people who are just, like, in a in completely Col- deranged way, obsessed with upsetting the people they already disagree with? Other yeah. than, like, the vicarious pleasure of infuriating your enemies, there's nothing to root for in Colby Covington. No, but Colby is at least cleans himself up enough that you can put him on TV. Strickland doesn't even he doesn't even have that like that that is true I would not trust Strickland is like that's like allowing a a, a stray dog inside <laughs> you should not do that yeah. yeah have you seen the house he lives in it might as well be outside yeah yeah He'd be more so, comfortable with some uh more comfortable with some little undergrowth to sleep on instead of just a concrete floor in his you know, creepy basement there is respectability there in, in that for Strickland, he's very real in that sense. You know, he's got his he he's he's got his cult following, but the the I think the outreach of his popularity is always going to be intensely limited back down because he's can't, weird he can't enough. Him anywhere. He is weird and off-putting, but there is a strange charisma to that as well. I mean, I, I don't know. There's a yeah. there is a as you said, he is very real. I at least I get the sense that way more people care about Sean Strickland now than I expected when I when I was the lone sure. Sean Strickland fan on the planet. It's true. We were we were we were Sean Strickland fans back when he was just a guy who yeah. I still like him in his weird style. I it doesn't necessarily mean I need to see him in main events. He's like no. he's like vegetables. I don't want to be looking forward to the main course of steamed broccoli. Yeah. But if it's next to a delicious chicken thigh, I'll take it. Yeah. This is not yeah. a chicken thigh, folks. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway. Yeah. No, hold on. More food metaphors. Yeah. Food, more food. Metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start talking about this matchup. Um, yeah. The reason it's not good is because there is zero like name recognition or weight 
to the debut here of Abu Supian Magomedov. It doesn't appear to have any divisional relevance. Of course, that would he, change after the fact if he beat Sean Strickland. He did already debut. It's not his debut. Well, well, I forgot. He had that 19-second fight with uh, he, he knocked out the worst middleweight on the roster, which was an yeah. appropriate catapult into the top 15. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, it will be a relevant fight for him if he wins because it's Sean Strickland. That'll be a, a ranking earning performance for him. But <laughs> I, the other reason it's not very enticing is I just am not very impressed with Abus Magomedov. It's not a fun game. No. And he's like he's 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 fought as many times as Sean Strickland over the mm-hmm. course of his career, like 30 fights. And it's. It, it, a lot of them just look like a testament to sort of the broad weakness of the international middleweight division. Middleweight is uh, much like nobody. I mean, this is once again, the it's, argument. it's the lowest of the bad divisions. Yeah. There's, and there's it, the three bad divisions. Everyone knows what they are. Yeah. Middleweight, light heavyweight and heavyweight. Right. Um, but it's also the the our great argument that all divisions should be uh, above 170 should just be one big catch weight is that when you get to reg- the regionals of MMA there really are very few functional middleweights or yeah. light heavyweights at all yeah there are actually a fair number of heavyweights because their future light heavyweights and future middleweights who aren't cutting weight. Um, but middleweight and heavyweight, light heavyweight, like at least, and maybe this is less true now than it used to be, but certainly like, you know, you go back a few years and it was just like, nobody fights here. Nobody, you know, you look at some like random LFA card and you might see a heavyweight fight on it, but a random light heavyweight fight or middleweight fight, it's like once every six months, one is going to pop up. And it's yes. just, you know, why if you're, if you are Abus Magomedov and you're six foot two with a 78 inch reach, like if you're that kind of guy, why would you be spending all of your time in the regionals cutting weight? You know, he and you look, you go back in his career to like final fight championship 29 and he weighed in at like 195 pounds. He's, yeah. you know, he's a big, weird, lanky guy. But yeah, he, he is a middleweight. Um, he has been as low as welterweight, though, in, in the past. Which, that doesn't surprise me either. He's got one of those yeah. scrawny builds, like Sean Strickland, who's and both have beefed up as they've gotten older, which makes sense. But the thing is, is like, yeah, what that reflects in the fights that he has, because yeah. you can watch a ton of them, even against, you know, like nominally reputable opponents. And you watch the fight and you're like, have you thought, have you considered trying to do something to this man? Yeah. Everyone's everyone he fights is weirdly passive. They do not know how to deal with his length. He screams insulated by length. He uh, definitely is insulated by length. I think there's also just a major dose of Maxime Grishin syndrome going on. Yeah. Which is just that like Phil also compared him to like Nasruddin Imavov, like this weirdly unstructured. He's not as good as Imavov, I don't think, but Yeah. But what, I, I, what were you saying? Yeah, 
I was just going to say that, like, Maxim Grishin is redactive, which I think uh, Magomedov also is. He he starts very fast for, like, a moment or two, but after that is very, you know, he's, he's subtractive in his fights. It's all about, like, being a little too far away to hit and... Yeah. Be offering threats that you feel like you have to be wary of. And he's dangerous enough in each thing he does yeah. that it feels like, and he's experienced enough, that he's not making a bunch of mistakes. He's not screwing a bunch of things up. He's not doing a bunch of obvious things that don't work. And he's rangy and he's capable and he's big so you go back through his fights and there's just, yeah, a laundry list of fights where you're like, you're just kind of like, and this person just doesn't want to fight you at this point. And yeah. And, and I'll even alter the previous statement there. He does a lot of things that should not work. Is yeah. this really the feeling that I get from watching a lot of these fights. But so this is, this is basically Magomedov's game for the, uh, I assume most of you mostly unfamiliar. Um, he, is a big long fighter who does a lot of kicking, right? Low kicks, that snap front kick. He particularly the front kick to the body and to the head. Yep. Uh, occasional high kicks, occasional low kicks. Um, and then periodically he will blitz in with some of the most hideously overthrown punches you've ever seen. Uh, usually on a completely straight line, uh, which, um, and it's usually like alternating sweeping hooks. So like either way you try to run, he's going to try to sort of just wrangle you in. And all of this is mostly predicated on his opponents, just kind of letting him walk at them. Yeah. Which this is the traveling thing. All of them have done. Yeah. And there's no reason to do that because in the few moments when you see his defense tested, I mean, his entire game is predicated on him being able to come forward comfortably. He doesn't yep. have defense, really. Um, he has his reach. And he's, uh, yeah, he just kind of expects people to hang back. And you can see that in his knockout loss to Lewis Taylor. Yeah. Somebody just flies at him and he like scurries backwards with no plan when he's already right smack in range and just gets beamed with a left hook. Um, and so I just don't think this is a game that beats Sean Strickland. It, it shouldn't be. And I forgot to mention, he also will mix in the takedowns. The takedowns themselves aren't super impressive. His positional grappling is pretty strong. But then again, uh, that is one area where I have seen him consistently make mistakes because he is really aggressive with submission attacks to the extent that he gives up position a lot. Mm -hmm. He, uh, you know, like he, when he takes the back, it tends to work out for him because he can hold on to that and try to find the choke. But when he's mounting people, when he's in half guard, he will like invert for Kimura's. He will give up mount to go for a triangle, allowing the opponent to get on top. Things that can work, but things that can go badly wrong as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the only thing to c concern uh, Sean Strickland here, I think, are the low kicks because he doesn't tend to check those very well. Although if you hit him with enough, he kind of figures out that he has to usually. Mm -hmm. And... Otherwise, maybe because when when Abus blitzes, he, he does it and, you know, that's when he throws combinations. It's the only time he throws combinations. Maybe 
he gets Sean to overreact to the first layer and clips him on the way out. But these are pretty slim chances given the fact that I think Sean Strickland is probably going to slowly pressure him. Yeah, that would be, I mean, and give him a ton of shit to worry about. And I just think Abus's game looks like it'll fall apart pretty quickly under those circumstances. Yeah. I, I, th- I mean, I think we'll see a lot of what we saw in the Imavov fight, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. And he also, by the way, Magomedov also gasses late in fights. Yeah. So we could see very similar. Where like Imavov thought like, oh, if I have a nice, slow, even paced kickboxing bout in mid range, I'll be comfortable and I can out punch Sean Strickland and I can be faster and be more technical with single strikes. Yeah. And then Strickland just walked him down all the time. And after like three minutes of it, you could see Imavov was just like, oh, God, this is yeah. terrible. doesn't matter if he's hitting you hard. He keeps you uncomfortable the entire time. Yeah. It's 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 a very unpleasant experience to just be pressured and nonstop peppered by Sean Strickland's weird punches. Yeah, and I I don't think that uh, Magomedov's uh, his wrestling just doesn't seem sharp enough that I would no. trust it to just. I mean, Strickland's a really hard guy to hold down or take down. He's difficult well. to take down in the first place. Yeah, Strickland's yeah. a a very strong defensive wrestler. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't see anything special about Magomedov's takedown game. It would really have to be him just catching Strickland with, like, one Alex Pereira-like moment. Yeah, or, and like, I, breaking him down with attrition, and I just don't think he's consistent no. enough. No, he's not going to break him down with attrition. I just, like, I don't trust him to do it. I don't think, no. even if I think that's an avenue maybe to find some success... I just don't think he's like he doesn't have a pretty, very clear process. He just kind of tries mm-hmm. tries things. Yeah. Like even the front kicks to the body that he loves, he will drift away from them for long stretches oh, just yeah. trying other stuff. I mean, he he you know, you can have he basically had totally crushed Stoltzfus in that with the first strike he threw. Yeah. But you watch like his fight with Sadabusi. Yep. And it's just, oh, yeah, he starts out with like a couple of strikes competitively. And then both men are landing like five strikes around after. He gets, he gets kicked in the head like five times in that fight. Yeah. He's tough. Give him that. Yeah. <laughs> Took no, a bunch of clean head kicks and didn't go down. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that is a that's a very messy fight, and it's it's to me that is a, a fight that typifies the problem of like, why don't any of these people like pressure him or stand their ground and like try to test him? They all just let him get comfortable. I just don't see many people in the UFC doing that, even at middleweight. And I, I don't really see how his game functions very well if he doesn't get that kind of directionality. Yep. So. I, I don't find, uh, you know, cool to have a, a, an experienced, tested veteran. Interested yeah. to see, to some extent, what he can come up with. But uh, this is definitely not a main event. And I don't think Abu Supian, even if, I don't know, even if he'd been in like Bellator for ages or something, he's just not a main event quality fighter. He, he doesn't look as good as Sean Strickland to me. No, it's true. He doesn't. I mean, we, we've talked a lot about like the modern MMA meta and all that. Yeah. Strickland Strickland's game isn't pretty. 
No, right but here. it makes a lot of sense. But it is very much the modern meta of MMA. It is all about volume and pressure yeah. and uh, rely, you know, to, for better and worse, some reliance on durability. Mm-hmm. And um, that is, you know, you, you look at your high level fighters, and that's how a lot of them fight. Yeah, Strickland wins rounds. And yeah, it's it's a round winning style. It's a consistent style. It's a style made to take advantage of the physical gifts that you know a, a top level athlete or a top level competitor can bring with them to the cage. Because mm-hmm. having a slow paced, pick your shots sniper style, it actually doesn't. You know, it, it that's a style better at hiding athletic deficiencies than it is. Mm-hmm. Taking advantage of athletic advantages. Mm-hmm. Really, you're you're you are at that point trying to scare your opponent from pressing you with physicality. Yeah. Rather than taking a physical fight to them and showing them that you can just out outwork them and outhorse them. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I agree with you. I, I I'm not that into Magomedov's game. And I, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, th- there's mm-hmm. going to be some leaf blower stuff from Sean Strickland, but it'll be effective. Yeah. I don't even think it'll be all that leaf blower. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't see any reason to think Magomedov isn't just going to get hit a lot when Sean Strickland throws. True. Uh, or or do so much to not get hit that he burns off a ton of energy. I just, yeah. uh, again, just even the few guys he's fought, like Sadabusai matched his frame, did not try to press him in any way. Yeah. So. Strickland opened at minus 168, is currently at minus 150. Um, Magomedov opened at plus 150, is currently at plus 135. I mean, it, it is middleweight. It is a division where, you know, Mag- Magomedov just going out and cra- cracking Strickland really hard, you know, it wouldn't be a, a, the biggest shocker in the world. No. Like like I said, if he rushes Strickland to the fence, one of those yeah. weird combinations, uh, Strickland starts in a bad defensive position, needs to see the first strike coming, and tends to like lean back and swat with both yeah. hands yeah. to get out of the way. There's every reason to think that uh, Magomedov might j- might get lucky with um, those those hooking combinations. I mean, his length could also surprise Strickland, but yeah, I, I don't know. Strickland, it's not like not like everybody knocks Strickland out. Is he Alex no. Pereira? You know, right. no, he's not. Strickland took a ton of clean shots from Imovov, who I think is a harder puncher than Magomedov yep. by a good margin, and looked fine. So, yeah, pretty pretty easy pick. Yeah, which is exactly what you want to say about a main event. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a lightweight fight in the co-main event: Demir Ismagulov, Grant Dawson, and more than. So, you know, we're talking, we like Sean Strickland's, uh, you know, he, he knows the meta. We like the way he tries to fight. I like fighters that try to hand parry and stay busy and like his defense isn't great, but I like that it's active. I just like him because he's very idiosyncratic, you know? Yeah. 
That his too. style is weird. It shouldn't work, but he's done it one, long enough to make it work. That's always yeah. in- interesting to me, but that's a personal thing. I, I like it because he, he tries to have active defense, and I always enjoy that. I always enjoy it. It's, it's, a, it's the same reason I like Jesse Ronson, mm-hmm. who is uh, not nearly as good as Sean Strickland. It's because they're fighters who try to make their defense become offense through head movement and hand traps. And, you know, in Strickland's case, the head movement is just pulling his head straight back. It's not Mm -hmm. great. But I always love to see somebody trying to do a a catch encounter. Mm -hmm. You know? It's very, it's a very fun style to try to make work in MMA. Mm-hmm. You should watch Marlon Starling sometimes, Anne. That's a mm. boxer you would really enjoy. I, I will have to put very that on my... handsy, very handsy parry and guard re- reliant defense. But he was a defensive master with that style. You'd like him. I, I will put that on my long list of things that I will, I will say I will. Pay <laughs> that you will likely <laughs> never watch. Yeah. <laughs> You would enjoy his style. That's all I'm saying. Hey, you do it with boxes. I do it with movies. It's an equal trade. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but I won't be mad. Like I won't be sad if Abus Magomedov goes out there and just crushes strong Sean Strickland. Not 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 for any like personality reasons or any of that. It's just you know, I I can see enough of what Abus Magomedov does well, and. Uh, and, and you know the the unavoidable like or like the permanent weaknesses in Sean Strickland and the permanent Again, weaknesses. I like him because it should not work. Yeah. He makes it work, but that doesn't mean his technique is good. Exactly, exactly. If Grant Dawson beats Demiris Magulov, right, I am going to <laughs> shed tears. <laughs> that is I, what I'm prefacing here. I do like this matchup more than the main event. Yeah, it's not a. It's it not makes a, perfect sense. Sure, it, it it makes perfect sense as a fight. I'm just saying, if Grant Dawson wins this fight, I will shed actual tears because yeah. Grant Dawson, he is. We had this with like Teresa Bleda recently. And da- the weird, the, the thing with Dawson is he has shown flashes of functionality where I'm like, oh, okay, I can enjoy what you're doing. Uh, there's, there is a, you know, when he came out with like a pressure kicking game and like n- high knees and just sort of like, uh, oh, who was it? He really took apart with that. Um, was it Nadner Amani? That he really just like flummoxed with that, or was it Julian? No, yeah, I think it was Nad Naramani. This is this is this is one where I can't help you. I, I, yeah. I don't know Grant Dawson's career that well. I, I think it was Nad Naramani that he just came out with this like these kicks and these knees and a counter game. I think maybe I miss. There was one fight where I was like, oh, okay. Uh huh. I see what you're doing. I like this. You pair this up with your wrestling and grappling. And, uh, you know, there's something there. But it was so clear that, like, the style, the striking he learned purely gave him size insulation. 
it was all busyness based on having people at 145 pounds. Right. They couldn't get close to him. And the moment he went up in weight, like 90% of his functional striking just disappeared. Yeah. Because everybody suddenly could match him for reach and being busy and low power. Yeah. Just didn't cut anything. He's clearly just not comfortable that not much against bigger opponents. And uh, that's probably part of the reason that he's also been like badly flagging in many of these. Yeah. Too, he is where, like, selling out desperately to stay off of his feet. Right. And expending way too much energy very quickly, just fighting for takedowns and everything. He's he is not a relaxed man at 155. No. And, uh, you know, against Jared Gordon and Mark Madsen, it's workable because they both have games where they are good in their own element when they're in total control of the fight. Mm -hmm. But if you take them out of control, they quickly can get overwhelmed. Gordon not being a great athlete, Mm -hmm. he's somebody, if he's getting to pressure, he can walk you down with all sorts of combinations and inexhaustible seeming cardio and all that. But the moment you put Gordon on the back foot and Mm -hmm. he has to react, then the fact that he can't scare you off or fight you off becomes a big problem. And Madsen, meanwhile, is not really an MMA fighter. Madsen's not really an MMA fighter. And anytime he has to play defense, right? he, He can practice all the offensive parts of his game, but anytime he has to fight his way, for different reasons, you know, Gordon knows how to fight his way out of trouble. He just doesn't have the physicality. Madsen has the physicality. He just doesn't know how to fight his way out of trouble. Mm-hmm. He has to be the boss. Otherwise, the fact that he's not an MMA fighter becomes very quickly apparent. He could take uh, Dawson down, but if Dawson initiated a scramble that Madsen right. had to fight his way through, Madsen instantly got lost yeah. and then would start losing. Ismagulov, um, the point being, is not one of these guys. Yeah, Ismagulov is a dude who can easily go three rounds of very hard fighting, fight scrambling all the time, and pouring out offense behind his jab while standing. Yeah. it There is a whole system here. He is not apex athlete, as Armand Soyukin showed. He will be he he will fall behind somebody like uh, at Saryukin's level, yeah, and not have an easy way to recover. But even somebody like Garam Kataladze, who just is like mm-hmm. also, also a great athlete, but that little bit less driven. Great athlete, could, he just doesn't he just didn't have a as good a game plan at Saryukin. Yeah. Basically, he he couldn't he couldn't overcome yeah. his Mukulov. Yeah, and then super athletes with no structure at all, like Rafael Alves. Yeah. They might they might have some moments, but Ismagulov ultimately takes those people apart. Yeah. So yeah. Dawson, he's 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 a he's too well rounded a fighter for Dawson's style yeah. to work against. Like is don't don't make the mistake of watching that Sarukian fight and being like, Oh, Ismagulov gets beaten by wrestlers. No. No, that's like the first time that's ever happened. Basically. And it was so hard. Yeah, absolutely. But, so you can had to work all the time through every position. Yeah. 
It was never just like, oh, I got Imagulov down and now I'm holding him down and working him. It's like, oh, I got Imagulov down and now he's right back up and I have to press him against the cage and I have to land some shots and I have to try to pull him down again. And he's constantly fighting every step of the way. Yeah, And he is extremely makes up for the lack of athleticism by being extremely technical. Literally everywhere an MMA fighter needs to be extremely technical. Yeah, he's a very, very solid, well-rounded fighter. Um, and yeah, like he's just going to beat Grant Dawson. He just should. He should shut down the wrestling. This should, it, at the very worst, this should be like the Ricky Glenn fight with a much more dangerous, athletic version yeah. of Ricky Glenn. Yeah, he's going to. His striking is exactly what's called for to make Grant Dawson supremely uncomfortable. Yep. Not that that seems to need much help uh, at 155. And his wrestling looks strong enough to he might have to engage in some scrambles, but he he might be able to win some scrambles against Grant Dawson. He's going to be a lot less tense and a lot more um, comfortable wherever this fight goes. And the worse it gets for Dawson, the more likely Ismagulov can just shut him out of that phase entirely and just beat him up. Yep. Uh, So, yeah, I see no reason not to pick Ismagulov. As much as I, I do like the matchup, I think it's an interesting test. I want to see, I also want to see Ismagulov get another win under his belt. Yep. And I mean, I want to, yeah, I've been wanting to see Dawson in these kinds of fights. Like he's put up this incredible record, you know, sure. being 19 1 and 1 and fighting a bunch in the UFC, even if these are favorable matchups to him. Like, hey, look at Drinkis Duplessis, man. A hideous style is no barrier to, uh, you know, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't overwrite results. Yeah. So I've I've been wanting to see it's like, yeah, put in Dawson with Ismagulov, put in sure. Dawson with Kutataladze, put in Dawson, you know, like give him good high level athletes and see where his style shakes out. Mm-hmm. And I think Matt the Madsen fight was a great test of that too. Like Madsen's a very good athlete, and mm-hmm. Dawson proved that he can fight harder and he can you know, he knows MMA better. Mm-hmm. That And this is the next step. And Ismagulov yeah. should slam the door on him. But I want to see it. Even more well-rounded than Madsen. And significantly more technical in each of those areas. And also those areas are connected to each other. Yeah. Which is one of and, Madsen's big problems. He, that, can fight, he, he, can, he understands enough of the, the defensive aspects of the game to fight his way out of trouble and back to success. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's I love this I mean, I, I really, I love watching this guy fight. Yep. So yes, I will shed an actual tear if Grant Dawson's uh, wall install, drag you down, and just suck the life out of you game gets a win out of it over Demir Ismagulov. Yeah, unless Ismagulov got old overnight. Yeah. Seems the only unlikely. worry is that Ismagulov, uh, I believe had uh, one of those Zhalgash Zhumagulov faux retirements. Yeah, something about medical issues. Yeah, he was like, oh, I have medical issues. I'm retiring. Yeah. And then I think just like like Zhumagulov, I I suspect he has been getting uh, big offers to fight back home in Russia. Yeah, quite possibly. And the moment he found out that retiring didn't end his UFC contract, he was back in a hurry. Yeah. 
Southeast back America much faster than, yeah, back much faster than severe medical issues and my career would suggest. Yeah. So that is my only worry because uh, Zuma Gulov has been going through it with that. That's how, these Americans, how these Americans get you, man. This whole contract is written in English. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's most confusing. I know he's Kazakh. I don't know if he has a Russian accent or not. <laughs> or, or whatever the accent you were just doing was. Oh, that was my Italian. Could you not tell? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's my Russian. This is a contract. <laughs> it's all in English. It's like, oh. All right. Demir Ismagulov dead even odds with Grant Dawson. Mm-hmm. Ismagulov opened at minus 152, currently minus 109. Grant Dawson opened at plus 141, currently minus 101. Buy Ismagulov. Buy, buy, buy. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I get that Dawson's record is nice and shiny. But it really does not include any fighter on Ismagulov's level. No, not even close. You know, his best win by a mile to this date, probably Leonardo Santos. Yeah. You know? Even just in the UFC, Ismagulov's record is very impressive. Yeah. And he had a lot of reputable reputable fights before getting here. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's a pretty. I, I don't know. I don't feel like that should be that close. This feels like much more of a test for Dawson. Dawson's yeah. the prospect here. Ismagulov is the high level known quantity. Yep. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bout: Max Griffin, Michael Morales, and I'm glad you're going first on this. <laughs> yeah, I, I have not, I've not figured out what I think is going to happen here. Um, yeah, neither have I. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I I get this matchup. You know, like. Yep. Um, personally, this is kind kind of why I'm in favor of um having like prospect versus prospect matchups as well. Because mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know. This is this Michael Morales is extremely raw. Yeah, he's not as raw as Cedricwes Dumas. No. Um. And he is an even better athlete than that guy. Mm-hmm. But he his game is very unstructured. He 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 clearly knows how to do more than he shows at most points in most of his fights. Yeah, there's a lot of there there is a lot of the good athlete who is in shape and just believes yeah. that his opponent will go away. Yeah. Moments. Because you have seen fights from him, right? Where he's out there like working a good jab. Mm-hmm. And moving his feet, and in other fights where he is just slinging the stupidest, ugliest haymakers on earth. Yeah, and just um, or just walking in on somebody, yeah, and getting popped, just getting and nailed, walking right, in the chin. right yeah. back in on them and trying to hit them even harder, doing the same thing. Like, yeah, it's just a belief of like, oh, I'm I'm a good, I'm fast enough, I'm strong enough, yeah, I've worked hard enough, I'm in good enough shape that all I have to do is be there. Yeah, he got blasted so many times by Adam Fugit, of all people. Yeah. He got nailed clean on the chin with huge counters because, yeah, he was just trying to wade in with his hands, like, flung wide, winding up on these big loopy punches. He also has 
a wrestling background, which also occasionally rears its head and, and frequently does not. It just sort of, um, you know, he, he's just, he has no structure. He yeah. is just a guy who has yet to learn that he can't just do whatever he feels like in the moment against everyone. And so I think this is a sensible matchup, uh, but I would also like to see him fight somebody else, like a young guy with his, with comparable athletic abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, before maybe getting Max Griffin, because I, I I don't know that that sort of that presupposes that like he can't beat Max Griffin. I do tend to go with veterans in matchups like this, but Morales is a very scary fighter. Yeah, and Max Griffin loses a lot. Yeah, like you couldn't beat Curtis Millender. Yeah, you know. Yeah, Max Griffin loses a lot. He hasn't been losing that much lately. Granted, he, he hasn't been fighting old dudes and guys with like broken games. But yeah. aside aside from the youth, the youth of Morales, his game is no less broken. No, it's than true. that of Song Kinan. Or like, like, like I that. said, I, I I'm glad you were going first on this because yeah, I having to pick up the beat, watching it myself. I'm just like, okay. I mean, Max, when he is pressing Mm -hmm. his game looks better than ever i think the big thing is that he has his form has always been like he he came from a traditional martial arts background Mm -hmm. somebody who like studied at one you know sort of like self-styled system martial arts school for years and years and years and then started doing mma out of that and so his punching form has always been a little wonky. But it seems like enough of MMA training and boxing for MMA has taken place over time to mm-hmm. get him into a place where his when he presses forward, his timing is good and he knows what punches he wants to chain together and how. And he's relaxed about it. I, I think, I mean, I think the other thing with Max Griffin is he's, he, he, I think he probably prides himself on being a very flexible fighter. Yeah. Uh, he tends absolutely. to clearly come in with a tailored game plan, mm-hmm. which I always enjoy seeing. And sometimes that doesn't involve pressure. I mean, it didn't yeah. quite work out for him against Neil Magny, but he was trying to like break Neil Magny with low kicks and then flit around and make him overextend and counter. Yeah. He did a pretty good job of that. Yeah, I'm just saying when I when he pressures, I, his boxing game, his striking game works a lot better than when he doesn't. Is what I was saying. Yeah, it's because he like he he appeared to learn how to move around and fight on the outside to do the the matador game. Yeah. Watching, um, watching uh, who was it who did it to Mike Perry first? Alan Joban. Yeah, and he like watched that, and then he got Mike Perry next, and he was like, "I'll just do that." Yeah. And that's basically as far as it goes. It, it's because he's one of these fighters whose footwork is so big and loping that it's not possible for him to uh, like work a work a stick, basically, the way a, a boxer might be able to. Mm-hmm. He has to be bounding around and like drawing you into these big yeah. uh, leaping movements. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I it's difficult to know what approach he's going to take here. Um. The the but, other hard part about this is too though that like in that fight against Tim Means he had like he came out 
and he's press he's pressing and he's busting Tim Means up. Yeah. And then he eats a couple counters as Tim Means starts to get comfortable and starts to work behind his own game. And Griffin just like turned off. Yeah. For a round. He went into the retreat mode to, to the bounding around outside mode where he just didn't do anything. Yeah. And it, you know, he won the fight, but it ended, it was, it, it did not result in a clean performance in, in something where like you could see what was working for Max Griffin and he did not stick with what it was working. Yeah. I, got, I think, I think his idea of fighting smart, like, again, this is, this is like the latter half of his career is yeah. he has, he has, he used to be like a complete wild man. Mm-hmm. So the latter half of his career has been him learning to fight smart. And I think what that is really means to him is he's become a lot more risk averse. Yeah. And so, uh, and that is a concern against Morales because I think with a guy like Morales, a, certainly a certain amount of like making him do too much and staying away from him, making him blow energy w- would be a good idea. But I think like most of his technical flaws are only flaws because they are ripe for punishment. Yeah. Right. It's not like, you know, he's, he's not just going to gas if you just let him wail on you mm-hmm. or something like that. He's not like an Edmund Shabazian type. It's that he swings wide punches and he's completely wide open for anything you want to touch him with. And so you have to be committed to punishing him. Yeah. And yeah, that is a, that's definitely a question with, with Max Griffin. He'll, more, you know, as likely as anything else, will come in with like a very defensive, negative kind of approach to Michael Morales and try to outfox him. You know. Yeah, I think I'm gonna uh, pick Morales. Yeah, I'll pick Griffin oh. to keep it interesting because, yeah. uh, you know, my want is to underrate the vast athletic advantages. I picked Amanda Hebush last week. Look at me. Yeah, so did I. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is one with a you know similar physical. Um, Morales is just a very intimidating physical specimen, but I just don't think he's very good yet. Yeah, no, you don't need to be to win, obviously, and that's why he fights so badly so much of the time. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do my usual thing and and ride with the uh, the savvy veteran here. Just out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Wondering where is Michael Morales still training at some like tiny gym in the middle of nowhere? Okay. You know who this should, you know yes. who this guy oh, no, he's training, training at from gym. Okay. Oh, okay. That's a good gym. Yeah. You know you know where he should be training. Where? Oh yeah, no, yeah. Henry Hoft. SBG up. Ireland. Oh. Oh no, SBG, yeah. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? I thought of a good idea. Why didn't I think of a terrible, stupid idea instead? <laughs> he should learn that. He should he should learn that Johnny Walker game. Oh man. Imagine get those, if, get those low kicks in there and nothing else. Yeah, the only problem with Cahal Pendred is he wasn't a freak athlete. If you could do exactly what Cahal Pendred did. <laughs> <laughs> would be a freak athlete you'd be as good as johnny walker <laughs> yeah anyway oh man it's a tough fight to call because it's it it's, is there's just too many unknowns with morales with both guys honestly yeah yeah i'm not a big fan of what morales does out there but yeah he's big and powerful and athletic and i think you know and with the guys like that there's 
it wouldn't take a lot no, to make a lot. He already has a lot of what he needs to be doing. I mean, I yeah. don't know if it's withered on the vine because he isn't making use of it. But like I said, you can watch his earlier fights and he's like, he looks like a guy with a pretty good boxing base. Yeah. It just doesn't show up. Yep. Because he doesn't need it. Griffin opened at plus 178. Is currently up at plus 221. Morales opened at minus 201. Is currently at minus 256. That's too wide. Yeah. Um, Griffin does have some really weak losses on his schedule. Curtis Millinder, uh, late career, uh, Tiago Alves. But it is generally, you know, Alex Al- Oliveira. I don't think any of those losses are that bad, to be honest. They're not, they're not terrible. Is Michael Morales better than Alex Oliveira? They're like the same guy. Yeah, and it was One's they were split decisions. They're all close fights. Yeah. So he is rarely Griffin is rarely, if ever, somebody who just gets blown out. Yeah, exactly. So. Sometimes that means he goes into survival mode, which is the concern here. But yeah, he he is a crafty fighter. He's very difficult to just get out of there. Yeah. And a lot of these fights end up, as you said, being splits. He stays competitive, stays annoying the whole time. He's going to kick Morales's legs. And, and when he is coming forward and when he is willing to put his punches together, he is powerful. Yeah. Like Absolutely. He's a good athlete. Yeah. He packs a punch. He can crack. You know, there there is stuff to be worried about there with Griffin. It's it's he can be dangerous in a lot of ways. It's it's a it's a good fight. But his athletic his innate athletic ability is probably the only reason he's still competing at this level at thirty seven. Mm-hmm. I yeah, think he's no possibly kidding. the best he's ever been at thirty seven. Yeah, like I say, it's, you know, he started with just kind of a wonky base, and he's been very slowly, yeah, uh, through the course of years of experience turning it, it into a calm and practiced game. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think this, I like this matchup. Yeah. It's solid. It's a good test. Uh, that brings to a woman's flyweight fight. Ariane Lipsky, Melissa Gatto. And I'm glad you're talking about this one. Yeah. The big question, what do I trust more? Melissa Gatto's wrestling Mm-hmm. Or Ariane Lipsky's defense, because <laughs> neither woman really does a lot of either. Mm-hmm. Like Gatto, you know, I I never I hate the way that they talk up um, fighters like her in in commentary. Because like even John Anik, who I I don't have any big problem with, but he'll he'll be like you know, obviously got Melissa Gatto wants to get her opponent down because she's got that great great jujitsu base. Mm-hmm. And then you see her on the ground, and it's like wild over aggression, mm-hmm. and you you know you look on at her credentials, and she's got a purple belt, mm-hmm. and it's just like. Okay, okay, so she has the same jiu-jitsu base as every MMA fighter. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> okay, maybe she leans on it, and maybe she thinks she's a great grappler, but let's be real here. Like, yeah, you know, the, what got her a win over Sahara Eubanks had absolutely nothing to do with her grappling ability. Right. 
And what got her a loss to Tracy Cortez had a lot to do with her inability to actually make any of her grappling work. Mm -hmm. And Ariane Lipsky is a prime candidate for grappling to show up big. If Gato goes out and shoots on her the way she shot on Tracy Cortez, Mm -hmm. she's much more likely to get Lipsky down every single time. You know, Lipsky has just terrible tendencies, terrible inborn first layer takedown defense. I should jump guard tendencies. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the last time Lipsky was out there against JJ Aldrich, she also showed some really solid fundamental understanding of what her game needs to be. And when Lipsky can do that, she looks really dangerous. When yeah, she... Lipsky, the fact that these two great performances from Lipsky sandwich an embarrassing loss to Priscilla Cachuera, Cachuera. yeah, is really funny because it shows that there still is, like, you can be the dumbest fighter on earth and go in there and suck her into a brawl and she will lose exactly how she always has. Yep. But unless you force that fight on her, she, she left to her own devices, she has got to control that. herself. Yeah. And a controlled Ariane Lipsky is a pretty damn good kickboxer. Yeah. She's very powerful. She's very dangerous. She really understands her transfer of motion and power yeah. on her strikes. Excellent distance. I mean, she puts her yeah. combinations together really well. She yeah. faints. She works her jab. I mean, she counters super consistently when people fire on her. Like, And the nice thing about what she was able to do with that in her fight with Aldrich was it stopped Aldrich from wrestling. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Is It kept Aldrich at this uncomfortable distance where, like, good, good luck setting up a clean shot, you know? Yeah. The difference, unfortunately, here with Gatto is that Gatto is if not taller than J.J. Aldrich, apparently the same height, she certainly seems very long and rangy. Mm-hmm. You know? She, let's see. Lipsky's got a 67-inch reach. Gatto's a 69. Yeah. She is, in fact. She's got really long arms. And unlike Aldrich, I don't think she really knows what's bad for her. Mm-hmm. Which makes her a difficult, aggressive problem standing Mm -hmm. because she will just wade in and walk through stuff to try to get takedowns. And yeah, I guess if she does that, I trust her to win. Yeah. Because I don't trust Lipsky not to just fall the hell apart if pressured. But it has to be noted, too, that Lipsky didn't actually get a takedown on Luana Carolina. It was, uh, was it even Carolina that shot? It might have been. Let's see, Luana Carolina, or Lipsky, Lipsky, Lipsky. Luana Carolina. I, I do, I remember this fight very clearly. I'm just making you yeah. look for the... Uh... Neither, no, neither fighter shot, but like she ended up on her back. Yeah, she fell over in that fight. I think it was or whatever. And then she just knee barred the shit out of Luana Carolina. 
Yeah, it's a little on a Carolina. It though. is. It's a terrible grappler. And like, and, why are you, as Ariane Lipsky, going for knee bars? Just don't. No, it's, it's 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 bad. It's a bad idea against a terrible grappler. But this is like, yeah, this is like this is like rating. Out of like, is Melissa Gatto chancy enough on the ground that she could that we could just end up? At, the big thing is honestly yeah. just that. Lipsky got out. She got outworked and out wrestled by Antonina Shevchenko. Yeah. And at that point, I have to just bank against her against somebody who's going to try to take her down. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I really want to pick Lipsky. I think, you know, given her preferred fight, Lipsky is like, again, very good. Yeah. She, <laughs> right. If, like way better than Melissa Gatto match. I would pick her a hundred times over. Yeah. Uh, and she's way better in her chosen fight than Melissa Gatto is in any of the fights she might stumble yeah, into. Way better. Um, but uh, even in that fight, she can just be drawn out of her game with the right amount of pressure, mm-hmm. and just not like respecting uh, what she's trying to do. And yeah, I assume Gatto can probably do that. Like, all you got to do is just bowl into her again and again. Yeah. And you're going to have to walk through some scary stuff. But um, Lipsky, that's exactly what Lipsky doesn't want you to do, right? Yeah. So that is a any shots you have to take on the way in. Like, that's a strategic win for you because Lipsky is hoping that, like J.J. Aldrich, you get backed off by these shots and start yep. second guessing and hesitating. And yep. then she can just ride to victory on you. Uh huh. So yeah, I'll take Gatto as well. Yeah, I don't like it. I, no. I want to see improve, but yeah, me too. When she's on, man, I really like watching her fight. Yep. Lipsky is the underdog here. Opened at plus one thirty-five. Currently up at plus one eighty-eight. Gatto opened at minus one seventy-two. Is currently down at minus two fourteen. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout. Benoit Saint-Denis against Ismael Bonfim. And um, it's kind of um, a weirdly stay busy kind of booking, given that. I mean, this is the weird thing. When the Bonfim bros debuted on the same card, I and all the other nerds, I think, were incredibly impressed with Gabriel. That's the other brother, right? Yeah. Um, I thought he looked phenomenal. I was like, whoa, this dude is a complete technician. What a performance. But of course, the commenters and like all the more, uh, you know, casual fans, this is me being extremely pretentious. They they were like, oh, Bonfim got a huge knockout over Terrence McKinney. You know what I mean? That's just like a way yeah. higher profile win. That's the kind of thing fans want to see. And people know who Terrence McKinney is to a certain extent. Um, yeah. But... Uh, he is the less impressive brother. So it, it actually kind of makes sense to me to, to give him a match like this, which is at best a lateral move. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not buying necessarily this whole thing that you're selling here. Yeah. Um, go on. Tell me, tell me what, what, what I'm wrong about. Uh, I think that Terrence McKinney is a way better athlete than Munir Lazes. Oh yeah. And I agree. Munir Lazes basically just kind of, if I remember that fight correctly, since it's not the one that I I did any research for for here, he just absolutely self-destructed. Oh, you're right. You're you're 100% right. He imploded. I'm confusing myself here. 
And Terrence McKinney, I, I, it, you know, a lot of people thought that Terrence McKinney would beat Israel Bonfim. Yeah. Because um, I think I think I'm Zane. I think I'm literally reversing them in my head. Yeah. As I'm now <laughs> refreshing myself on the footage, I'm literally yeah. switching the brothers in my head. Yeah. So that's me, the pretentious hardcore it, fan, my not, a, yeah. not a stupid casual. Because Bonfim, like I, we both picked Lavez to beat Gabriel Bonfim. Yeah. And he just and he looks super sharp. He, he and yeah, Gabriel Bonfim looked sharp. Lazez like ate a couple low kicks and then decided he had to shoot for a takedown and shot right into a guillotine. I was like, yeah. what the hell, dude? Um, and but we picked Ismail Bonfim to beat Terrence McKinney, which a lot of people are like, oh, this is kind of a ta- yada yada yada, and. Yeah. You know, McKinney is sh- he is wild and he's incredibly explosive and very fast. He's broken though, but he's broken. And Bonfim is the technician who could just sort of, you know, pick him off, eat the shots, wait for for McKinney to f- start flying apart, and then pounce yeah. on him. And that yeah, was so- more or less what happened. I I completely agree with you. And in fact, I'm disagreeing with what I was saying before. Complete mental lapse. Let me recalibrate now that I know who the the fuck I'm talking about. So Uh, at this point, this does feel like a stay busy fight for Ismail Bonfim. Absolutely. Yes. uh, Benoit Saint-Denis won't break in the way that Terrence McKinney does. But he also isn't nearly as fast or surprising yeah. So you basically just get a low, a constant lower level of mess. Yeah. That you can either solve every time, or you don't solve. Yeah, I'm curious about the southpaw thing. I don't mm-hmm. know for sure how many southpaws Bonfim has faced, but Santani does do some very specific lefty type of moves. Mm-hmm. With his style, he has an annoying southpaw jab. He likes to throw those like weird darting left hands into the clinch. Um, but the thing that was really impressive with Bonfim's debut against, uh, McKinney was how extremely comfortable he was with his own range, even against the longer fighter in that case, the longer and very fast fighter, uh, just how consistently he was able to pin him up against the fence, not pin, I mean, corral him into the fence yeah. and just kind of be like, okay, I know how far away I am from you. Throw something at me and use that pressure to draw openings out of McKinney. Yeah. Um, that was what was really impressive. That's why he looked like a fighter more. He looked like the more mature fighter than his brother that night because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he, he wasn't just relying on... He's a good athlete, obviously, yeah. but he wasn't just relying on being a big, explosive, intimidating guy. He was very patient while being very aggressive overall. Yeah. No, I, it, to me, I think he's... It, it's a bit... They're a bit of the uh, the Pitbull brothers where... Yeah, 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 yeah. Very much so. The smaller one is the the actually much better Go Go figure. <laughs> go, game. Go, go figure. The smaller MMA fighter is better. Yeah. Um, and... And yeah, so I think I just think that Benoit Saint Denis is a problem that he can solve, and that it'll actually be really hard for 
Saint Denis to fight his way into this against somebody who can draw out a couple wild swings and counter them repeatedly yeah. and not get overwhelmed by a messy scramble game yeah. that Saint Denis will try to initiate off of those wild swings. Yeah, that's the other thing is that Saint Denis, classic MMA fighter can only like go so long so far into an exchange before he has to start wrestling. Yeah. Just to keep himself sane. And it's good for somebody with his level of heart and gas tank because it does like if you're, if you can't solve him, he will draw you into a fight that absolutely kills you. Yeah. But if you can solve him, I think he's going to find himself with walls where he he needs safety valves and he's going to find walls instead. Yeah. You know. So yeah. I think this will be a pretty good fight for Bonfim, honestly. Yeah, I can't believe I just switched them in my head. Gabriel's the big bully. Yep. Ismael is lightweight Hafael Asunso. Mhm. But the aggressive version of Asunso. <laughs> yeah. The best version of Asunso. Bonfim is a sizable favorite here. Opened at minus 256. Is currently out at minus 295. Saint Denis opened at plus 193. Is currently at plus 251. That feels right to me, honestly. Yeah, that's appropriate. Like Bonfim has, uh, you know, he's lost a few times in his career early on to Hanato Moicano. And Adriano Marias, yeah, two of the better fighters in the world that were on the Brazilian regional circuit mm-hmm. at the time. And also very early in his career, all of his losses. Yeah, and all very early in his career. Hasn't lost since 2014. And has never been knocked out. Yeah. So you're really looking at somebody whose game has tightened up more and more as it's gone on. And who has the durability and we've seen, you know, having seen him in fights like Terrence McGinney, like he is durable. Mm -hmm. He is clearly, it's not just that he's a good technician and well-practiced, although that helps a lot, Yeah, but he's a good durable fighter. And Santini is a fighter who he depends on breaking you, you know? And I don't think that Bonfim is the kind of fighter who is likely to break. That's sweet. Now realizing that they fought uh, at the end of uh, at the end of the fight with McKinney, I recall them showing Hinata Moicano very enthusiastically applauding in the crowd. <laughs> he was very proud of Ismael Bonfim. That was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, maybe they'll rematch one of these days. Yeah, I mean that's the great case for you know having prospects fight each other. Is that like that'd mm-hmm. be a cool fight to see again? Mm-hmm. There's a little story there. All right. That brings us to our final main card fight. Nursultan Ruziboyev against favorite. Bruno Ferreira. <laughs> Bruno, I suppose. But. Yeah, Bruno. Yeah, I've been saying it like a, like it's Latin. Like the, I've just been making the double N a little longer. Yeah. Bruno. 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 Like, it's two syllables. It's Bruno with two syllables. That's how you do it in a lot of Romance languages. I don't know if that applies to Brazilian Portuguese, but Bruno. Bruno. Like Italian. Make it sound Italian. Bruno. Bruno Bruno Ferreira. That's right. All right. All right. My favorite Italian fighter. My favorite Russian fighter. (laughs) Bruno Ferreira. Uh, Yeah, this fight 
Um, sucks. Sorry, but like, Uh if there's if Magomedov uh, has a huge record built on middling competition that just won't press him. Nursultan Ruziboyev has a huge record built on competition that clearly just cannot functionally take him on at all. Yeah. And every time they can, he loses. Yeah. Like, his game is no fun and it sucks. <laughs> It sucks ass. Yeah. It is a tall man's boxing game. And I mean that in mostly that he ha- he he walks into the pocket very straight up and down. Yeah. And tries to spend as little time possible there. He reacts really poorly to getting hit with whatever is getting like for somebody with 44 fights. Yeah. He seeing him take a low kick. He, he reacts like he's never taken one before. Yeah. And then he wants to just get people down to the ground where he will work an aggressive game in whatever position he's in. And the, that is not necessarily to his success at all. No. You know, it, he he just, he will be, in, he, he will clinch up. He will try to wrestle. If he has to pull guard, he'll pull guard. If he has to grapple off his back, he'll grapple off his back. If he is on top, he will... Uh, you know, jump or he will fall. He will just kind of either rest in a position until his opponent tries something, or he will try to aggressively go for something and lose position. Yeah. It's, it is a game used to physical dominance is what it is. And, uh, Bruno, Bruno Ferreira, Bruno Ferreira um, is kind of the same, except that he doesn't go to the ground. <laughs> like, he's used to being in fights where he punches people and they don't want to get punched. And so they don't fight him. And it's a good testament to him that despite getting thoroughly outboxed by Gregory Rodriguez for several minutes while just trying to walk him down and punch him really hard, he didn't get distracted at all. No. And just kept walking him down and trying to punch him really hard until he did, and then he punched him really hard. You know? Yep. Ferreira is very, clearly very tough and very determined and very physically strong. He's not really anything else. Um... You know, it is not a 
it is not a consistent, it is not a high output, it is not a clean striking game that he is working. But it is tough and it is determined. Mm-hmm. And it is powerful. Yeah, I mean, he's he, you know, he, he was reasonably calm in that Rodriguez yeah, fight, yeah. considering how horribly it was going and how many big shots he was having to eat. Um, when it ended, it did have the feeling that he was, I mean, he was kind of looking for those openings the entire time. He was just like, he's a guy who just sort of assumes he's going to get blasted while uh, while in that mode. Yeah, and, or but, if he never had gotten blasted before, he is totally comfortable with it. Oh yeah, you know. He, react, he didn't react game. badly at all. Yeah. Either way, it's a, it's a good it's a good sign for somebody with a game that raw. Yeah. I'm gonna pick him. Like. Yeah. I I don't trust anything that Ruziboyev does, and I don't trust it to survive good athletes. Yeah. No, I'm I'm feeling the same way. I I, I don't know where uh, these guys are coming from. Like. I didn't think it was possible. This is a very boxing kind of thing. Like I, yeah. I'm not used to seeing MMA fighters rack up huge records where I look at them and I'm like, are you just, is like a manager building you up to a payday or something? Yeah. Right. Cause I'm gonna tell you, you ain't going to get it in the UFC pal. Yeah. No you know? kidding. That I mean, move might work built up to make 10 and 10. Exactly. <laughs> that move works in boxing because like you can put together some bullshit highly, uh, highly, um, curated undefeated record and then get like a payday, you know, like you're going to fight, you know, whatever a super, uh, super silver edition world champion of the IBF or something. And you'll get like, you know, a couple hundred thousand bucks or something. You get a million bucks or something. If you include sponsorships and things and, and then your manager's done with you. That happens all the time in boxing. Yeah. That's what this feels like, but it doesn't seem like the business model works for MMA. So I don't know what is going on. But Magomedov, and to an even greater extent, uh, Ruziboyev, Ruziboyev, yeah, it feels like a manufactured contender yeah. kind of fighter. Right. Ma- Ma- Magomedov is a He's a he seems to me like a veteran who is the best of other veterans on a regional circuit for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know? He's out there like um who's uh, like like Cole Pitt Muay Thai guy. What's his name? Oh, uh, Scott Askham. Like Scott Askham. Yeah, or like I compared him to Maxim Grishin. Maxim Grishin was also oh, that right, dude right, for right, a right. long time. Right. Where it's like, yeah, okay, Maxim Grishin, he you know, he's actually just like one of the best heavyweights in regional heavyweight MMA. Yeah. And I think that fine, but Abu, which is fine. I mean, that is being fine. Abu Magomedov, I think is probably one of the best middleweights in regional middleweight MMA. Yeah. Ruziboyev's record here. You, if you even look at the guys on his record that look like they have good records, you look at like Mm -hmm. Edward Arustam, 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 Arustamian. I'm guessing. You look at his record, it is pure cans. Yeah. You look at, uh, you know, somebody, the uh, Luciano Contini's record. Yeah. It is almost pure cans. That's what I mean. This is, it just feels like a manufactured it, record. Yeah. His record, Ruzibayev, is the can crusher who, who beats other can crushers. Yeah. 
And that is a very different thing than being one of the best, being the best regional guy. Yeah, he can he can reduce a bunch of can crushers to a one by one foot metal cube. Yeah, <laughs> but other than that, he's a trash compactor, and I I don't think that Bruno Ferreira is complete trash. Yeah, um, I think and he's, he's a good athlete with power and with power. Calm. Yeah, I mean, and and enough calm to take take a licking at least, and a powerful, think- athletic, and and willing to be aggressive and calm in exchanges. Like he's not going to freak out and make terrible mistakes. Yeah. yeah, I just I just I'll pick him as well. I just it could I, be I could see him knocking Ruzibayev down, jumping in his guard, and getting triangled. I could absolutely see that. Sure. Yeah. But I, I, I never am going to pick, uh, or rarely ever, I'm going to pick fighters to win by submission off their back. You yeah. Know? That's it's it's the worst way to try to pick a winner. Yeah. No, I'm feeling the same way about this one. All right. Odds on the fight. Ruziboyev is the underdog opened at plus 132 is currently a plus 173 Ferreira opened at minus 147 is currently down at minus 195 all right on that note that wraps up the main card if you are a Substack subscriber hang hang out for just a minute and we'll be right back with some bonus content for you as well To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcasts and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.